0: Welcome to episode 203. Have you ever asked yourself, which rules am I living my life by? Or what is the story that runs my life narrative? What is it? It's a deep question, but interestingly at the core, we learned that that story is the reason that we stress about certain things, that we don't like certain things about ourselves or other people, that we get hung up about different topics in the news and the media, and that the same bad situation keeps showing up in our lives week after week, month after month, year on, year out. And because we're living life by this story, it results in years, if not decades of stress, which is a cocktail of hormones and neurotransmitters that are really unhelpful for the body. And we end up in health situations that we're often devastated by, whether it be long-term weight gain, hormonal issues, depression, anxiety, and in many cases, some really significant and potentially fatal diseases. So, if the story of our life leads to stress, which leads to disease, how do we change the cause? How do we rewrite the story of our life? Well, that's exactly what this episode is all about. So, if you're someone that likes the idea of change, really knows you need to do it, really want to do it, but you've tried a bunch of times and it's all fallen apart, well, this episode is for you. There's no doubt that transformation is a challenge. It's a journey, But it's laid out in this episode with flawless logic and it's riddled with perspectives that you can adopt to change your world up in a very big way. So if you want to make change, heal, and grow, then, well, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? How are you doing? Obviously, because this is a one-way conversation, I'm going to assume you're amazing because I'm loving that positive perspective today. (laughs) Speaking of positive perspective, in 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. And actually, today's guest and I had a fantastic and deep discussion about emotional eating on our first episode, which when you're done here, you can check out episode number 157. So, I want to welcome you here to the second episode with Dr. John D. Martini. And for those that are new to this man's wizardry, John's mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. He's a polymath and a world-renowned human behavior expert. He's produced 100-plus audio and video online courses, and his education curriculum ranges from personal growth seminars through to corporate empowerment programs. He has shared the stage with some of the world's most influential influential educators such as Stephen Covey, Sir Richard Branson, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra and been interviewed on Larry King Live, The Early Show and also appeared in publications such as Shape, Leadership, Success, Prestige, Entrepreneur and O aka Oprah. Now, last time we hung out, John also shared a lot about his life story. So, if you want to uh, know about the depth of this man's genius brain, uh, then check out episode 157. And today, we're going to go somewhere which is yet to be discovered. So, John, welcome back to the show, mate. How
1: are you? (laughs) I'm Great. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No problem at all. Now, we were just talking before we hit record, um, and I'd love you to share where you are in the world right now.
1: I'm in Iceland. Uh, on a, outside, a little island outside of Iceland on my ship. And um, we're sailing around um, Iceland right now on, and I'm doing, and my uh, team and I are doing an expedition here. So we're, we're exploring the flora, the fauna, the geology, um, the history, everything about uh, Iceland at this moment, culture, the language, we're, we're, we have we have about twenty six experts on from the Discovery Channel and EOS to try to help us uh, explore this this island. And uh, so, I'm I'm an, I'm involved in education. I love education. So anything I can do to learn something, I'm I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, I'm so inspired by just all of the education that you have done over your career and your life, and how you're still. Clearly, you know, in the thick of it and learning all of these things, which I think is so fantastic. Um, and and I would love to, I guess, ask you know, in regards to your education, maybe the last year since we caught up. So last year, I guess, was kind of the middle of some crazy lockdowns here in Melbourne, uh, at least in Australia. And I know, you know, out when you're out and about, even though it's been you know half a year, a bit more than half a year since all of that kind of ended. I'm wondering, do you feel like there's something different about the world or the world's in a bit of a hangover from the last year? Has it been like that from your perspective or the way that people are showing up or or wanting to deal with things?
1: Well, you know, it it depends on the individual and their career and what they do. Some people were more impacted by it than others. Mm -hmm. Some flourished and we've been in accelerated mode. Some have been, you know, uh, impacted in their economy. Some impacted by their relationship. I was just having a meeting this morning at breakfast uh, with a family, and they were talking about what went on during lockdown because they had young kids. So, if you have young kids, you got a different reality. If all of a sudden your kids are under ten and they're all at home, and they're used to being at school, and parents are trying to work, and then they're having to work from home, it's it's a that's a that's quite an adjustment. Yeah. <clears throat> but somebody who has older kids or doesn't have kids and has and just nothing but a business that happens to flourish there in time they they have a completely different view of what happened during COVID. I, I was blessed to be able to, you know, continue my work online. So I really had some of the two biggest years I've ever had in my outreach. And uh, so I, I I can say, call it St. COVID <laughs> from that perspective. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, different people have different perceptions of what happened. And the, the, as Einstein said it, Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, these aren't words by him, but it's sort of a a statement that was associated with him. When you're kissing a girlfriend, two hours flies by like two minutes. But when you're waiting for a freight train, two minutes seems like two hours. So if you perceive pleasure or perceive pain, they distort the fabric of space time, you might say. Mm -hmm. You accelerate, if you're having pleasure, you accelerate time and shrink space. And if you if you're having pain, you decelerate time and stretch space. And so different people have different subjective experiences of what happened, whether they perceive more pleasure than pain or pain and pleasure during this period. And they're recovering from that now uh, as, oh, that was an amazing time, or that was, I'm glad that's passing. (laughs) Depends on their perception. And we always have the capacity to ask new questions, to change that perception, and to transform it as John Milton said, to make a heaven out of a hell or a hell out of a heaven, we can turn anything that's happened in our life into something we can be grateful for or ungrateful for. My personal feeling is that if I perceive something I'm grateful for, my responsibility is to look again so I can be fueled by my experiences instead of burdened by my experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about that, that perspective, but also the story that we attach to our life narrative, I guess, because some people are inherently looking to the story where they may be a victim or they're subjected to, to pain because of maybe they were raised in an environment where that was conditioned into them. But you said something in there that um, I'm curious to ask and it's, you know, like often, as you described, we, we, when we when there's suffering or pain or discomfort, we manage to somehow slow time down and the opposite's true when there's a pleasure. Is that a universal law, or is there some way that we can shift that perception of time moving forward?
1: That's a great question. That was the very that was the second discussion this morning with a, uh, two professors, one from Yale, one from Tokyo um, University. We had a discussion on that, exactly what is time and what is the perception of it. Is it related to entropy? Is it related to consciousness? Is it missing information? There's all different theories about what this thing is called time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had a discussion on that. I don't know if I have an answer because there's variations on how to perceive it and put it into context. You know, uh, time is basically something that is perceptual. And it, it, according to uh, Immanuel Kant, it's basically a game of consciousness. It's a game of perception because you can make uh, time go by. I mean, we've all been in a situation where we've been on a flow. I was doing a presentation one time on, on philosophy. And we were discussing all kinds of topics and we went for nine hours without a break. Nobody even paid attention to a break. Nobody cared. Nobody said, I got to go relieve my bladder or anything else. Nine hours. Wow. And all of a sudden we went, you gotta be kidding. Nine hours has gone by. We went, went all the way through the afternoon and evening. Didn't even take a break because we were so engaged. We've lost track of time. And yet you, we all know what it's like of how we look at our watches if we're uninspired and not engaged. Every few seconds, we're sitting and going, how long is this going to last? You know, we're acutely aware of time. So I always say that when you're doing something you're inspired by, you extract out space and time from your mind and get present, and you don't even notice it. You don't even age almost. But then when you actually are sitting there engaged with emotions, uh, you now have the perceptions and distortion of the fabric of space-time. You alter it. So I think the aging process has a lot to do with how our perceptions
0: would would you say that based on that notion that when some you know you can have two people next to each other that are the same age and one looks significantly older and one looks you know much younger than their approximate you know amount of life years that they've been around the sun um like do you do do you think that that's got to do with the way that they perceived that amount of time passing
1: well I think that that's that's a factor without a doubt uh, we have genes we have Environment, and then we have our consciousness, <clears throat> and there's no doubt in my mind that the consciousness is playing a role in that. Because if you have distress, you definitely accelerate the aging process. The entropy takes over, and there's there's literally physiological mechanisms of how that occurs when we have distress. But what is distress? Distress is the perception of loss of something we seek, and perception of gain of something we're trying to avoid. And if we're highly polarized in our perceptions and emotions. And more black and white in our thinking, we're going to have more distress and we're going to age quicker than somebody that's more zen, that's more transcendent, that's not attached, that's not seeing things in black and white moral hypocrisies. So yeah, I think a person can actually reach a state of consciousness that where they can actually slow down that aging process to some degree and the entropy in our body, our, our, our entropy of our body and our breakdown of our body has a lot to do with our, our, how aware we are. Yeah. They even entropy is Claude Shannon described entropy as missing information. If you're fully conscious and you're not living with unconscious subjective biases, the aging process is impacted.
0: Oh, yeah, it makes so much sense. And and so many, you know, I guess when you talk about stress or being in distress, you know, there's a cocktail of hormones that are released in response to that situation, you know, if, to go to the physical level, um, which, you know, after many, many years, you know, your adrenal glands run out, you wear out your thyroid, um, you have, you know, you, you hold your face and the, your body in positions that hold tension and end up causing back issues and neck issues and all of these different things. So the, and, and which kind of reminds me of in a little bit the, you know, the general kind of consensus with, or the summary of Tony Robbins' work, right? Is like, you know, change your physiology, change your life type thing, change the way that you physically show up in the world. Um, But I guess a question that came to mind there and thinking about, I guess, many of the listeners, many of the people that I work with is stress is usually such a key component of their life. They're busy parents, they're busy with their work, they're busy juggling finances and that type of thing. What is the, like, day one, you know, textbook of De-Stress 101 of beginning to untangle the stories and belief systems that contribute to a stress reaction to a situation?
1: Okay, well, it's a little continuum of what I started with a moment ago. Um, So, distress, there's two types of stress. There's eustress and distress. E-stress is challenges that you pursue that inspire you that actually help your immune system and help your physiology because you see them on the way, not in the way. Like when you, you, you're a 12 year old boy, you love video games and you just conquered one video game and you want that more challenging video game, the newest one, you want to conquer that and you're pursuing a challenge that inspires you. That's e-stress, and that actually helps the brain engage and actually, creativity and it helps the body. And it shows in the cytokine ratios and the inflammatory responses it shows. Then there's distress when you're in a survival mode. And again, you're seeking a prey and trying to avoid a predator and having a subjective bias one way or the other uh, to accelerate your capturing of a prey or to avoidance of a predator. And here we have a highly polarized perception. And we now have the fear of loss of prey, which is starvation, and the fear of gain of predator, which is being eaten. And those two mechanisms increase the entropy of the body because subjective bias is you're unconscious of the downsides when you're seeking prey and you're unconscious of the upsides when you're seeking to avoid predator. So those are distress levels that literally lead to entropy and breakdown of the body and aging and cause all of the inflammatory responses to go one way or the other. And we, we can have illness from too much parasympathetic, too much sympathetic, either one. We can have illness. Illness is a, is a feedback in our physiology to let us know that we're not poised, we're not authentic, we're in judgment, and we're polarized in our perceptions. And it's trying to create symptoms to get us back into authenticity and back into you stress. All the symptoms of our body are feedback mechanisms to guide us back to authenticity and to go after what's meaningful in our lives. And so, yeah, the aging process is even a feedback system to guide us back to the non-aging process, you might say. It's, it's trying to guide us, but we're not interpreting it. Our, our moral hypocrisies that we run our life by and the fantasy monopolized ideas that we try to achieve, trying to avoid pain and seek pleasure, is the very source of the cause of this distress. That's why the amygdala is a survival response system, but not something you live with. If you stayed in this in the amygdala's survival response for long periods of time, you'd age and die quick. Mm. But if you're back up in the executive center where you're governing those impulses and instincts and and normalizing those physiological responses, you you restore yourself back into eustress, stress, and then you end up having less aging. I you know, I'm an I learned a long time ago to to fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, that you're engaged and willing to solve and delegate all the rest. So you don't have anything that distracts you, that puts you in your amygdala. So I don't do anything but teach research and write. I don't have any other responsibilities. And so I delegate everything else to everybody else. (laughs) And I find people that love doing that. So they're not distressed doing the things that I'm delegating. And then you end up, uh, you don't age as much. You know, I'm 68 so I'm I'm doing pretty good and most people don't think I'm 68 they, they <laughs> go you got to be kidding but the reality is that 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 when you're doing something you love to do that slows down that aging process. when you when you get up in the morning and you're doing what you love and loving what you do and you are delegating everything off your plate and you everything is within you know your are chal- pursuing challenge and inspire you in my case learning um, there's a lot less distress levels but people in survival I'm a firm believer that you want to master all areas of your life. You want to build and create ideas that serve human beings. You want to create a, a business that you're inspired by. You want to build wealth so your money's working for you. You don't have to work for money. You want to have a relationship that you're inspired by and not put a structure and a form on what it's having to be and constantly changing them to match your values and all that. Just allow people to be who they are and love them for who they are. And they'll turn into who you love and you will give you freedom to do what you love. And also surrounding yourself with prioritized people that do extraordinary things to inspire you. And, um, and then eat well, don't live to eat, but eat to live. You know, I don't, I don't sit and hedonistically chomp on food. Everything I eat is something that allows me to maximize my performance. Cause I've, I have objectives each day and then be inspired by your life. If you're doing that and you're, you're creating an inspiring movement just by, being grateful for your life, I think all those add to an increasing probability of longevity.
0: Oh, totally. And I love the thing you said last time we spoke um, about if you if you live an unfulfilled life, you'll fill the gap or you'll fill your body with
1: food as one of the things that you'll food. You know, use to fill the void. Exactly. Well, people that are not fulfilled in their career, not fulfilled in their relationship, not fulfilled in, in their social positionings, etc. etc., can easily live to eat instead of eat to live. That's why I tell people, if you want to transcend addictive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, if you don't fill your life and mind and day and week and month and year and life with very high priority things that are truly meaningful to you, that you're inspired to do, that you can't wait to get up and do, you're going to be living in that amygdala. And that amygdala is going to make you want to eat and make you want to impulsively live. And amygdala is great for, for emergencies, but it's not the way to live your life. Totally. and.
0: I in regards to that um, sort of emergency response or, um, you know, I guess stimulation-driven behavior, when we talk about living authentically and living on purpose and getting up and surrounding yourself with all of the right things, what comes to mind is like this um, exceptionally overstimulated world. And obviously that's a judgmental word. It might, there's, as you said, and you always say, there's pros and cons to everything. Um, but what I think of, you know, especially with the people I work with is that we're so overwhelmed by opportunity, choice, Distraction um, and and these tools, whether it be uh, sugar and food, or whether it be social media and all of the latest apps and keeping up with the Jones- Joneses, like it's it's great to have there for, to connect with friends and whatnot. But a lot of these tools, uh, they spend millions of dollars with people's heads in MRI machines, figuring out how to manipulate people's behavior on scale in order to addict them to these apps. So how would let's you know say we've got somebody that's got. They're listening to this for the first time. They're overwhelmed by life. They're starting to realize, they're coming to that realization that, oh, life is actually in my hands. Where do we begin when there's so many things that are designed potentially against what is natural for the human to move towards?
1: Well, natural in a sense of our animal nature, but not natural in a sense of our, you know, masterful nature. Uh, I think this this one quote says a lot. If you ask yourself every single day, what is the highest priority thing, highest priority action I can do, I can take to help me fulfill what's most deeply meaningful that serves the ever greater numbers of people, the most people in the most efficient, effective way that inspires me. That's a great question on a daily basis. What is the most efficient and effective thing I can do that inspires me that also serves ever greater numbers of people, what's the highest priority thing I can do to, to move in that direction? If you fill your day with the highest priority actions, that's about the most any human being can do to stop and act, reflect. Well, you're less likely to be impulsive. If you're not filling your day with high priority actions that inspire you, you're going to be filling your day with less inspiring distractions. And distractions are impulses and instincts that people on the outside are vying for attention. Everybody around you is projecting their values onto you and trying to get you to do what fulfills their life. (laughs) That's, that's the name of the beast. So, Mm -hmm. So if you're not filling your day with what it is that inspires you, you're going to end up being vulnerable to not knowing, not being able to say no to all the outside agendas. And everybody's going to try to addict you to what they want and sell you something. And that's why I'm a firm believer, you know, I, I delegate shopping to other people for me and I and I basically make a list of what I would like to have done and they take care of it because I'm not I'm not that way vulnerable to impulse shopping or anything like that I, I just that's not what I do I, that's not my highest priority going shopping and buying things etc I, I hire people to do that or I have it electronically done and I select it with an agenda if you don't fill your day with an agenda with priorities it's going to fill up with everybody else's that's just a basic law. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would argue with the idea that if they don't fill their day with high priorities, it fills up with low priority distractions. That's something everybody can see. Well, that's not just a day. That's a week, a month, a year, You know, a, a generation, a decade, a generation, of life. That's your whole life. If you're not taking command of your life, everybody else is going to. So I've been master planning my life for 50 years. November will be 50 years since I started master planning my life out and how I won my life. And I wanted to travel the world wow. and I live on a ship around the world and I'm traveling the world. <laughs> I wanted to teach in every country around the that's world. pretty amazing. 172 countries have gotten to do it. So I, I'm a firm believer you can live by design. And, and I wanted to be financially independent. I did that. I wanted to reach billions of people. Like that's happening. So there is no way you'll convince me you can't live a designed life. And if you don't live your life by design, it's gonna you're going to live by duty. You're going to live by everybody else's expectation. You're going right. to fit in the crowd instead of... You're either following a, a, a culture or creating a culture. I say, create one. Go build a culture.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It reminds me of um, the the saying, which is similar to what you're sort of saying now, which is, you either write your own story or you're in a you're the character in somebody else's.
1: Exactly. So I'm a firm believer that if I don't fill my day with things that are, that inspire me, it fills up with things that don't. Parkinson's law, Pareto's mm-hmm. principles. So I'm a firm believer that uh, <clears throat> you know. I'm living it. I've watched it happen. I've trained thousands of people on how to do it, and the ones that do it, they, they do amazing things with their life. So life is it can be by design, and we can be victims of history or masters of destiny, and it's totally how we perceive and decide and act. And we have command over our perception, decisions, and actions. We don't have command on everything else, but we can take command of those three things, and we can change the, the course and trajectory of our existence. And it
0: sounds like the, the fundamental piece is self-awareness.
1: If somebody's really, really, really inspired about something, and they've got some really important thing to do, they're not going to overeat before that. They're not going to overconsume. They're, they're, they're going to govern their amygdala. The executive area of the brain has the capacity with glutamate and GABA and n aspartate and other transmitters to govern those impulses. We have the capacity to govern them, and self-governance and self-mastery is within our grasp. It's about living by priority, and it's about taking command of your life, and and all the BS of how I can't control myself, and all oh, I can't do it. I did is all BS. There's unconscious motives for playing that role, but if you want to take command, you have the capacity to do that. I've I've had God knows how many people that didn't believe they could, and I just showed them some basic simple things, and their life changed. All of a sudden, they realize I can build momentum doing it. It's it's. It's like a compound interest. It's slow at first, but after a while, it's a great eighth wonder of the world. And at first, you're, you're starting to build momentum being authentic, but that authentic pays massive dividends if you stay with it and be patient with yourself.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. In your experience, why do people feel like they're not in control? Like what what story are they running that means that they they have subscribed to a version of showing up, which means they outsource that control and put themselves in a position of helplessness?
1: Well, every time you – the authentic self is yourself. but But if you exaggerate yourself and mm-hmm. puff yourself up with pride and look down on people – you're going to want to project your values onto them and get them to live in your values, which will be futile. In some cases, fatal. And if you minimize yourself and put some in a pedestal, you're going to inject their values into you and try You're going to try to live in their values, which is futile. And, and, and Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. So you're actually having like slow entropy and aging, trying to live in somebody else's values. And, when you minimize yourself or exaggerate yourself, you're not being authentic to yourself. And so both of those create symptoms to give you feedback, to let you know you're inauthentic and you're judging. We're not here to judge people. We're not here to put people on pedestals or pits. We're here to put them in a heart and to love people. And that's the only way we get to love ourselves. How are we going to be loved for who we are when we're not even being who we are? As long as we're puffing ourselves up or beating ourselves up and not being ourselves, we're not going to do anything except try to have futility, trying to change people. Think about all the relationships that are trying to change the other person to be like them. And both people are both addicted to pride. And our amygdala wants to be addicted to fantasies and pride. And the pride is when you project your values onto people and the fantasies that other people are going to live in your values. And these cause entropy and aging and disease. And and it's designed to. All of those aging and disease systems are there to give us feedback, to say, that's not you, buddy. That's not the real you. Get back to authentic and loving somebody and watch what happens and your life unfolds. Now you're starting to communicate with other people respectfully as equals with sustainable, fair exchange, which helps your business, which helps your mind not have noise in it, which helps you economically, it helps you socially, it helps you in relationships, it helps you be inspired. All areas of your life can be empowered by learning how living objectively with authenticity and sustainable, fair exchange. And that's why if you prioritize your life, you increase that state. That's why taking the time to prioritize your life is so important to master your life and to be able to master the seven powered areas of life. And I'm a firm believer you can. I'm, I've, I've been, like I said, teaching people how to do this for decades. And I'm, I'm certain that people start applying it. It's not really rocket. It's In fact, it's so simple. People don't believe it's so simple. It was Charlie Munger that said something really nice. And the same thing with Charles Ellis and Jack Bogle, John, John Bogle. He basically said, you know, that that building wealth is actually so simple, it's ridiculous. But Wall Street has trained people into making it complex, so they feel anxious, so they give their money to Wall Street brokers. <laughs> but the actual mastery of wealth wealth building is so simple. I can show somebody in fifteen minutes how to structure an, an economic development process to make them become wealthy. And I've done this for many, many people. And people go, "Why is it? Why is it so seemingly so complex out there?" I said, "Because." The BS is being taught to you instead of the facts. The facts are simple. And there's a real simple science of building wealth. And the same thing in there's simple principles of relationships. And there's simple principles of building business. It's called sustainable fair exchange, equality, equanimity, and equity theory. So we, we make it complex. And then we buy into the idea that those people out there have knowledge we don't because we are uncertain about what we know. But the reality is it's a really simple process. Master of life is not complex. In fact, it's the simplest thing you can do by prioritizing your life and living by what's really meaningful. That has been stated by Aristotle. It was stated by Heraclitus. It's been throughout the ages. This has been done, but we make it complex. We even call superiority complex a superiority complex and an inferiority complex instead of the simplicity of the art of being yourself. (laughs) It's simpler it's simpler to be authentic than it is to be complex and to to exaggerate, minimize oneself.
0: As you were saying that, what came to mind um, was like with all the talk of inflation and economic collapse and recessions is that I really hope we can all find that 15 minutes that you've put out into the universe so that we can all prepare ourselves for whatever's
1: coming. (laughs) Well, it's, it's not the world outside that makes a difference. You know, when the markets go up, you, you make money on the past. When the markets go down, you make money on the future. So it doesn't matter what the markets do. And if you're letting the world on the outside run you, you're not understanding how it works and, and sticking to what you know is your, your plan of action. If you stick to the plan of action and you keep investing money into buying quality assets that serve ever greater numbers of people in sustainable fair exchange in an efficient, fact, effective manner, you're going to build wealth. It's really that simple. And you can. that's such a simple process it's being overlooked, and it's been sold in the marketplace as complex when it's not. That's why. That's why, as Munger says, mm-hmm. people want to make it complex to to get your money. The actual truth is very simple, and if you keep it to the simplicity, you'll end up with the money. And the same thing in the relationship: the simple truth is that people want to be loved for who they are, not who they want you, not for who you want to make them. <laughs> if you find out who they are and what they are, their their life and identity revolves around what they value most. If you find out what they value most, which is most inspiring and meaningful to them, and find out how that serves you so you don't need to fix that, you can appreciate that, you're going to stabilize a relationship. It's simple. It's not very complex. And it, it's the least amount of effort to get the most amount of return on the, the, the affection. Mm-hmm.
0: As you're talking there, it reminds me of a lot of, um, a lot of conversations I've had with different clients, people, friends, um, and even sort of looking back on my own personal development journey of which I obviously, like all of us, have a long, long way to go, um, and it's, it's an ever-ending thing for all of us, but is that as, as simple as a lot of this stuff is to you know the rational, logical, prefrontal cortex part of our brain, and we can all hear it and process it and be like, yeah, of course, that makes a lot of sense deep down in there are often stories about uh, self-esteem issues, not feeling worthy, not believing that good things can happen to us. And so despite its simplicity on the surface, like what needs to be done in order to, to, to unravel or, or take the power out of some of these stories that, that limit our ab- ability to accept the simplicity of the truth?
1: Well, anytime you put something in a pedestal or in a pit, that means you're too humble or too proud to admit what you see in them inside you and you have disowned parts. And I think it was in uh, even in biblical language, uh, Romans two, new Testament, it said that, you know, that whatever you judge in others you have within yourself, pluck the mode out of your own eye before you pluck it out of somebody else's. What I do is if I see somebody that <laughs> I admire and I look up to, I immediately go, I know that represents a part of me that I am too humble to admit that I have, but I have, and I admire it in myself, but I'm, too humble to admit it at this moment, and therefore I'm seeing it in them. And the same thing And when I resent somebody, I own that too. And I'm too too ashamed to admit it, but I got it. When I actually go in there and look at where I have what I see in them and own it and have reflective awareness and take them off the pedestal and equilibrate that, my dynamic with them changes and I realize I'm not missing anything. I've said for years, At the level of our most authentic self, nothing's missing in us. There's fulfillment there. How are you gonna have fulfillment if you got parts missing? And every time you judge somebody and you're too proud or too humble to admit what you see in them is inside, you got parts missing and that's unfulfilling. That's why judgment is unfulfilling. But if you go in there and identify whatever you see in others, where do you have it? It's a fantastic exercise to liberate yourself because the second you put them on a pedestal and expect to live in their values that you're injecting, you're gonna self-depreciate, beat yourself up, have low self-esteem as a normal feedback mechanism to let you know you're not being authentic and you're trying to be somebody you're not. That's a normal, healthy response. It's not a weakness. It's a normal response for trying to be somebody you're not. But the second you go and find out what you see in them is inside you and you level the playing field and you don't try to change you into them or others into you, you just liberate yourself from tremendous amount of baggage and energy that's futile. And you now get back to what's truly meaningful to you and prioritizing the process. So prioritizing your life and having reflective awareness, which is, I call it the Martini method. It's a method I've developed to, to help get pure reflective awareness. Reflective awareness means that whatever I see in the world around me, I have within me. It's, the, it's a reflection of my, it's my projection onto the world. Once I own that, I level the playing field and now I'm respectfully communicating with people and not minimizing or exaggerating myself and I'm able to be myself and that's where the power is the magnificent of that authentic self is far greater than any fantasies we'll impose on ourselves trying to be somebody we're not mm-hmm.
0: I've got a potentially naive question as you talk about this and you mentioned before you know the um, you've been doing this work for 50 odd years doing all of this learning when you when we get to somewhere like on your level with all of this experience like what, is it, what does it feel like to show up authentically in every moment of every day? Is there any sadness? Do you feel loss? Is that like, like What's what's the daily emotional spectrum like?
1: Well, I would say that emotions are uh, incomplete awarenesses. So if you're elated or infatuated with something, you're blind to the downside. If you're depressed, you're blind to the upside. And that means you're conscious of the upside and unconscious of the downside when you're infatuated or elated or proud. And you're conscious of the downside and unconscious of the upside when you're depressed and shamed. So, to me, if I start to feel those, instead of letting those run wild, I immediately ask, "Where's the other side?" and center it again. So I don't have extreme polarities. I don't feel extreme polarities because I, 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 I ask the questions as I go along. And when you're living by your highest priority. You have the most objective state and the least amount of emotional state. There's a thing called systems one and systems two thinking in our brain. Systems one thinking is feeling under emergencies before you think. So if you've got to get out of that tiger's uh, path, you get out of there quickly, then you think about it. Systems two thinking is where you think before you emotionally react. When you're living by priority, you're less likely to be in emergency situations. You're proactive, not reactive and you end up having less volatilities, less emotional disturbances, and you're grateful for life. The executive center is also called the gratitude center, and the amygdala is also the desire center. And as the Buddhist says, the desire for that which is unobtainable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable is a source of human suffering. That was called the animal passions, and passion comes from the etymological root, pati and passio, which means to suffer. And the mission, an inspired mission, is different than passion. Inspired mission is doing something that's deeply meaningful, that's priority, that's inspiring, that's sustainably fair exchange with people that makes a contribution to the world, which is way more fulfilling in life. Our fulfillment comes from making a difference in the world also. That's why if you ask somebody how many want to make a difference, every hand goes up because it's built into the equation to want to make a contribution that's sustainable and fair exchange. And if you try to get something for nothing or give something for nothing, it's non-sustainable. That's why narcissism or altruism is non-sustainable. But pure reflective awareness and deep appreciation and love and fair exchange is going to be the most prosperous thing a human being can pursue and the most fulfilling.
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds very reminiscent of, um, I'm reading at the minute for the second time because I just need to do it a few times to process it, um, Eckhart told The Power of Now um, and, you know, that idea of being totally present and then there's basically never a problem if you're totally present because it's like that, you know, future, past, anxiety, depression is about like it's about everything but right now Um, and being able to to be present uh, allows you the ability to give a balanced perspective on on, as long as you're present you know totally present within your body within yourself and if you every time you're able to do that you'll find that basically everything's always
1: a balance well that's accurate because if you're having fear, your may- fear is an assumption that you're about to experience through your senses or imagination more drawbacks and benefits, more negatives and positives, more loss than gains, more disadvantage than advantage. It's an assumption of an imbalanced universe. There is no imbalanced universe. <laughs> there's charge parity. There's conservation laws. There's no imbalanced universe except in your subjective mind. So fear is an assumption of the future. So if you're living with an imagination that's got more drawbacks and benefits, you're going to be living in fear. And the same thing with guilt. And shame—it's an assumption that you, with your motor actions in the past or your memory, cause more pain and pleasure, more loss and gain. Both of these are false attribution biases that you're doing something or somebody else is doing something to you that's imbalanced. Those don't exist; they never have existed, except in the human mind that's subjectively biased, that's trapped in the amygdala. So, if you prioritize your life and get present, be more objective, see both sides—that those those don't those are not those are not your life. Most people don't realize that. And and I believe that every symptom in your life, physiologically, psychologically, sociologically, every event in your life is attempting to get you into that authentic now state. That's all it is. If you see life that way and you see it on the way, not in the way, you're grateful for your life and you increase the probability of sustaining that state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I, I feel the more that I practice returning to the current moment, whether it be through breath work, that... It's actually a really good conscious reset for reminding me that, yeah, nothing's wrong. <laughs> nothing's ever wrong. Um, but it's all the thoughts, you know, especially running my own business and, you know, worried about finances and all the different things. And, and this return to the now um, actually kind of hits the reset button multiple times a day. And I feel like the more that I get practiced with it the more I'll be able to do some of the stuff that you're talking about because I'll be constantly, the the periods of time that I'll spend in the present moment with that balanced perspective are hopefully, ideally, going to be increasing over
1: time. Well, you know, I I just wrote an article yesterday that went off about, you know, this biochemical imbalance uh, BS that's been going on for decades now, since 1990s. You know, they've been trying to create a false attribution bias on the idea that you have a biochemical imbalance that leads to depression. And there is correlations in some chemistries, but that's not the cause because I can have a tiger come out of a, you know, f- open a door in a room and a tiger starts doing it, starts leaping towards you with its fangs. Uh, if I was, while it's leaping in the air and is about to eat you, if I froze that with a men in black pen, right, just froze that boom. And I did a blood chemistry on you and neuro, neurotransmitter chemistry on you. I'd find cortisol out the roof, testosterone out the roof. You know, estrogen would be down, and kephalons would be down, serotonin would be down, dopamine would be down, that you would see skewed chemistries. But that's not because there's an imbalanced chemistry. The tiger came in, you perceived the tiger, you now felt threatened, and you changed your chemistry. So we we people have been robbed of their accountability of, of their perceptions that they have control over, and been given a pharmaceutical model that's basically said, Well, the cause of it is this biochemical imbalance. Well, the pharmaceuticals have been cleaning up on that and the psychiatrist has been making a fortune out of that. But the reality is that that's not the truth about human nature. Human nature is that you have control over your perceptions and you can change your chemistry. I can take any neurotransmitter and change the ratios in the blood and the brain by changing the ratios of perceptions, by asking different questions and make you conscious of different things and change that chemistry. Just like that, in a matter of seconds, 200 milliseconds, we can change it. So Depression is not a lack of biochemicals that way. Depression is a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy that you're holding on to that you're not getting, and then you're not appreciating this reality because it's not matching the fantasy you're addicted to. And you're holding on to a fantasy about how it's supposed to be, should be, wished it would be, instead of honoring what it is. When you actually see what it is and find out how what's happening is actually on track for what you want to accomplish in life, depressions don't occur. So Our body is creating symptoms and psychological symptoms to try to teach us how to have a balanced perspective. It's it's actually working. Those are not illnesses. Those are feedback mechanisms to guide us back to authentic states and to stop looking for fantasies, which is the amygdala and stop going after one-sided worlds. Those are fantasies. If you try to get in a relationship with somebody and you think they're supposed to be always positive, never negative, always kind, never cruel, always nice, never mean, you have a fantasy. There is no such thing. But if you understand that a human being is going to have both sides, you support them, they're going to be nice, you challenge them, they're going to be mean, and you have now an expectation that matches reality, you're not depressed. You're you're ready and prepared for a reality of life.
0: Well, I think that's one of the fundamental flaws of the capitalist pharmaceutical model is that they've trained all of us, or not, not quite all of us, but a lot of Western society, and now it's obviously going across a lot of Eastern society, is the idea of pathologizing Everything like putting a, a, a medical label on every experience that a human has, which basically says you've got bad luck. This is the way that your body is, and not looking at the cause. Um, and I like we're totally in the right podcast to be having this conversation because that's why I left my work at the hospital um, because I have realised that we were almost never dealing with the cause of disease, and just as you say, like you know, it's it's very much within our hands, and it's got so much to do with the belief systems and and like the amount of cancer patients that like as soon as they get a diagnosis, it's like they've just been handed a lead balloon, and they emotionally surrender and give up um, because that word, you know, inherently in the in the pathologizing nature of Western society, comes with a set of belief systems which you which you just happen to inject into your brain. Um, when in actual fact, you get to decide how you feel about it, what you think about it, um, and and you know, look through the information and decide for yourself what you want to do with it. There's no doubt that there's a physical reality to it. Um, Um, But I think so much of it is contributed to by, yeah, our beliefs about the world, our beliefs about self and and the outsourcing of responsibility.
1: I had a friend (laughs) that found out he had cancer and uh, he, he had one night of just soul searching and he was really kind of down and he was just going, oh my God, I didn't expect it. The next day he got up, he says, you know what, screw that. I made, and he made a massive list of everything he wanted to get done. He says, I'm going to die doing it. I mean, I'm just not, I'm going to go after and do all the things I want to do. And he ended up living eight more years and they thought it would be, you know, less than that, but he lived another eight years, but he knocked out a bucket list that was phenomenal. I mean, over a hundred things that he wanted to get done. He just knocked them all out before he passed away and he made it to 76. So it wasn't too bad, but he made it, you know, he, he did a decent job, but what he did is he basically. And instead of taking and go, oh, I'm going down. I'm going to go now. Do chemo and everything. He didn't do any of that. He just went out and did everything he could until his body says not. And he went eight years. And I I I don't know if that wasn't a smarter approach than the other thing because he didn't. He he got him knocked off. He was like going, I'm knocking everything that I'm going to get done. I'm just going to do it until I can't do it. And he and he lived friggin' the best eight years of his life.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I love stories like that and I'm fortunate enough to be able to be connected with many doctors in the world, which you are probably too, that you know have left the system, take a different approach and have so many stories of people doing that with their lives. I think it's, yeah, This we've got to get away from this pathologizing because it feels like every single day the system comes out with a new set of behavioral issues, of addiction issues and on all of these labels which... Essentially, just take responsibility away from parents, from children, and it's just like, this is the way I am, so accept it. And that is just the most unempowered position to come from ever.
1: I, I had a gentleman, uh, another consultant who said, John, I got a really challenging uh, client that I need your help with. I said, what's the deal? And he says, well, he's become an alcoholic, and he's just drinking unbelievable amounts all day long, and he's just sosh, sloshed. And so I get on the phone with this guy. It's a strange hours because he was in another country, and a strange hours where I was. Got on the phone with this guy, and we started ch- chatting. Very intelligent man, ran a massive company, you know, he had billions of dollars in in business. And um, what he did is he ended up abnegating his business to other people and just receiving lion's share of the money, even though everybody else is doing everything. And I made a statement to him. I said, mm-hmm. "Money without meaning." Leads to debauchery. Money with meaning leads to philanthropy. I said, So what happens? You got money without meaning now. And he goes, So you think that has something to do with it? I said, I know it has something to do with it. I said, Take a look at when you were actually still working. What was your drinking? He says, No, it was just social. I said, And since you stopped working, now you don't have to do anything, but you're making an unbelievable amount of money $700 million he made last year. Uh, you, What is what's your purpose? What's your meaning? What what's meaningful to you in your life? He goes. That's a good question. I didn't substitute what I was doing with something meaningful. And I said, I said, what is the thing that you loved about business the most? He said, doing deals. I said, let's go back into deal business. And he cried. He was drunk, but he cried. He had a crying. And I I, I I said, you you let go of the part. There was a lot of part of your business you wanted to be freed of but that part you didn't necessarily need to be freed or want to be freed of. He says, no, I didn't. And I didn't catch that distinction. So we put him back into the deals, got him back on the deals. And when he knows he's got a deal, he doesn't drink. When he knows he's got a big deal to do, he's, he's, he's making sure he's preparing for that deal. We gave him meaning and purpose again. His drinking dropped. So-called addiction, labeled addiction, trying to put him in treatments for addiction, all that. He got meaning, changed his dynamic, socially drinks again. He's now 70-something years old, almost 80. And he's now back on track again. He's doing deals. And he what he does is he does the deals. The rest of the team takes care of everything else. They appreciate him. They pay him. But now they don't feel like there's a mutiny going to be building. Because he would have had mutiny in another few years. They would have all gone, well, he's making the lion's share. We're doing all the work. We'll start our own business. That's what eventually would have happened, just to get him back on track. So the second he got back on track and started doing deals, the drinking took care of itself because he was now in his executive center. And the executive center is the thing that governs the the amygdala. The amygdala is the source of the addiction processes. So the second we went out into executive function, the drinking wasn't an issue. The consultant said, you saved him a fortune, made him a fortune, kept his life back in in shape. And now he's interacting with people because people didn't want to be around him because he was a slosh. Now they're back with his game. He's back in the game again. And he said, I've, I felt like I'd lost my skills and lost my edge. I was, I was letting all my knowledge fade and everything. Else. I'm back in the game. I feel like I'm alert again. I said, now you have meaning again. Fulfillment comes from service and reward. If you try to get service without reward or reward without service, you pay a price. When you have a perfect balance of those twos, you have fulfillment in life. That's why we have a sensory cortex reward and a motor cortex for service. And we have a, an executive center to keep those in equilibrium.
0: Yeah, well, and, and in this current world where uh, dopamine is accessible and, you know, those uh, hormonal rewards in the brain are accessible for no cost or no risk or no payment in any way. No, no wonder we end up in these pits, right, of, of these situations where we've not paid a price, um, whether positive or negative, in order to be able to actually feel the reward.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I tell people, if you don't fill your day with high-priority things, every time you fill your day with the highest-priority action that's most meaningful, most fulfilling, most service-oriented, the blood, glucose, and goes into the forebrain. It's it's demonstrated. It's forebrain activity. And the second you don't, and you don't have anything, and you got no agenda, weird stuff fills the day. You're back in your amygdala. You're putting out fires, and off you are to impulse. If you know you have some extremely important thing coming up to do that's more that's really meaningful to you. You have incredible discipline to focus on things. The most people overeat, overdrink on Friday night or Saturday night because they got nothing going on on Saturday and Sunday. I work every day. (laughs) People think, well, all you do is do what you love doing. And I say, well (laughs) why do I want to go away from something I love doing? Most people have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. Very few people have every day a Sunday, a day of the light. Right. Because they, if they, but if they fill their day with things that inspire them every day, every day is like a Sunday. Every day is a day for inspiration and rejuvenation. But if you're not, then you're, you're sitting going, I want to escape my weekend. Thank God it's Friday. What kind of mentality is thank God it's Friday when you're doing something you love to do?
0: Stuck on the hamster wheel.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what day it is half the time. I don't even care what day it is. It doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah, I, I feel very much the same. Um, for, for everyone that's loving what they're hearing and they're just like, I need to get some of uh, John Demartini's stuff, uh, where does everybody find you and you and your programs and courses and everything you've got?
1: If they want to, if they can handle me and they want to put up with me, just go to Dr. Uh I think there's a couple billion links to it so you can find me easily. And uh, But if you go to drdmartini.com <laughs> There's a website there that'll keep you educated for the rest of your life. You're going to have to be a Buddhist and believe in reincarnation because you're going to need a couple lives to get all the information out of it. It's so filled with information, but, but uh, yeah, it's, it's there for education. It's got thousands of, of radio, television, newspaper, podcasts, you know, articles and everything in there for, for education. I'm an education guy. I research, write, teach, and travel every day. That's what I love doing. But DrDmartin.com and there's a value determination process in there to help to help you set and determine what you value most to set priorities by. It's free. It's private. It's worth taking a moment to to go through it. Just a few moments of your your life, it could change the trajectory of your life. But living by priority, I guarantee it pays off. Pays off.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I've done that uh, value uh, hierarchy before that questionnaire, and figured out my values a couple of times over the years. It's um, highly recommended. It's it's very useful. Um, and in the very big, be- I did it in the very beginning of my personal development journey, and it really um, woke me up to myself. Really, it was the, one of the beginning things that was like, "Oh, this is what I enjoy doing. I should probably spend my time doing that instead of beating myself up for not doing it." <laughs>
1: That the, the very highest value of an individual, their, their ontological identity revolves around it. So my highest value is teaching mm-hmm. my identity teacher. Whatever's highest value, your identity revolves. So if you're a football player, your highest value is football playing. You're a football player. Your identity revolves around what you value most. Identifying mm-hmm. what that is and sticking to that is where you build incremental momentum to build greatness. And, and that if you want to be great at something, you want to be a leader at something, you want to be inspired by it, you want to make the biggest difference, prioritize and find what that is and stick to it. Watch what happens.
0: Totally. For everybody listening that's wanting to get uh, a piece of this and I'm certain you'll be able to handle John D martini as fantastic as the man is uh, head down to the links in the show notes below um, if you're on YouTube head down there all the links to everything will be down there so make sure that you connect reach out take the questionnaire and the quiz about uh, values um, and I've got a got a new question that I've been playing with to sort of begin begin our way out of the conversation um, what is one thing for you John that you didn't believe five years ago? that you now believe? Like what's, what's evolved in your thinking over that time?
1: Probably the only thing that I would say is that uh, at five years ago, I wouldn't have, would not have probably believed that, that we could have done an online world as efficiently as we've done. Thanks to COVID. I'm very grateful for the COVID experience because Mm -hmm. I'm able to reach people. I would not ever have been able to reach uh, in the travel systems that I was doing before. And now I can reach people. So, I think that the belief that what we can do with technology advancing us and to be able to help people um, was beyond what I assumed was going to be possible at that time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. And for those uh, listening, that if they were to take away one message from today's conversation um, that was like orienting them in the right direction for their health, what do you think that one piece of information is that you would want more people to know about?
1: Well, there's an old proverb that says instead of eating – living to eat eat to live ask yourself is what I'm eating right now the highest priority most efficient fuel that's going to help me fulfill my most inspiring mission ask that every day if it is eat it if it isn't stop and reflect and just know that it's going to be to your advantage physiologically economically sociologically psychologically to fill your body with wise wise information and wise food because that's I mean I, I, I'm If you watch my diet, you would see that I'm very efficient on what I eat and, and I don't put anything in there other than what's going to allow me to maximize my performance of serving people.
0: Fantastic. I love that last piece of advice. Uh, thanks so much for being here. I love hanging out. I love uh, absorbing your wisdom. So thank you for spending the time with me.
1: Thank you for having me. And I hope we can get you on again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity again and, and uh, thank you for what you're doing and serving people. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. We'll chat soon.